one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Miss Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to our Bahrain Grand Prix race review. All the pre-season predictions disappear into the ether as the cars hit the track for the first competitive race of the season. Literally every prediction ever made in the off-season is forgotten. No one can remember who said who would be where or what car would be in what position. And any attempt to remember that is for the birds. It's a long season ahead. I don't think my predictions are beaten quite yet. Lots of the fans are delighted, i.e. Fernando Alonso fans and fans of super mucks, mucks, mucks. And some fans are not angry, but are disappointed. Those fans are dressed in red. There's some pretty glum-looking McLaren fans and some disappointed-looking Lewis Hamilton fans. And some people have declared the season over. But look, it's never over. It is perfectly normal in Formula One for one team to dominate for a little while. In fact, I would say it is more common for a team to dominate a season for that not to be the case. The reward in Formula One is sticking with it when the ebbs and the flows bring them together. That might be next season, but it could be in this season as well. You don't know. I would say relax, enjoy the season. The ships roll in and the ships roll away again. So coming up, we'll discuss Alonso's explosive start to the season, Red Bull's continued dominance, Williams taking a big step, McLaren attending the Grand Prix briefly, and the somewhat muddled Mercedes messaging. I'm your host, Richard Reddy. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. 
I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? For want of some downforce, a kingdom was lost. That's certainly Lewis Hamilton. Again, it was echoes of 24, no, 2013 when he first joined Mercedes. He said, it's a good car. I just want more downforce. He, he managed to get the team to do that then. Maybe he will this time too. We're also joined in the shed by Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Hey, Spanners. Three shows in one week for me. I hope you're not fed up with me yet. That was you on before. It, I, it was. I know. I get He's you gotten. and Stuffy and Jono all mixed up. Yeah, thanks, man. And we're also joined by someone unmistakable, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? My least favourite team won, and my least favourite driver had a really good weekend. So I'm well looking forward to this one. Look, Formula One is more about the drivers you like. Uh, you know, it's more than just the teams that you want to win. You have to enjoy it as a sport. And I think I am genuinely the one sad thing that I think I've seen from the influx of fans that have come in in the last few years is that I think if certain drivers retire, particularly Max and also Lewis Hamilton as well, that that will trigger an exodus from the sport. So if you're one of the, the, the people out there that is so emotionally invested in one team or one driver that you can't watch unless they're successful, I, I would beg you to pick people all up and down the grid that you'd like to see fighting because, you know, despite it being pretty clear up front, Alex, there was some good racing today. Well, it's all right. Thanks to a very reliable lie detector test, Lewis isn't leaving the sport until he gets eight world titles. I think they'll have to um, wait until he can't get out of a race car like Lance Stroll. <laughs> and, uh, of course, it would be remiss of me to not tell you the show title. The title of today's show, supplied by Michael Brown, was How Hard Can It Be? A McLaren Story. Harsh. There are definitely winners and losers from today's Grand Prix, but the big-ticket item... Has to be the big news, absolutely has to be Fernando Alonso on the podium. Big dirty news. So clearly, I made my pre season guesses and predictions, and they were fun. And I definitely did not see Aston Martin getting this high up the finishing order in Bahrain or getting up the grid. But I'm still pretty happy with my working out. And a few of you have quite rightly given me the odd dig for my my predictions. And I think that's that's fair enough. As a wannabe pundit, you stick your best guesses out there on the line for the sake of discussion and just to put a little bit of skin in the game. And I, and I stand by my thinking whether they turn out to be right or not. And uh, I was clear, though. I think my my doubts with Aston Martin were based on the scale of the claims for them to come from seventh and to do incredible things and to end up third if they do would be the most amazing off-season performance of a team I can remember mid-regulation and and I was clear as well that my predictions were through the whole season so there's a whole season for us to keep arguing about this but they have undeniably made an amazing start but the season does still need to to play out so for them Mercedes were completely gettable if they didn't land it, and they didn't. But they still were a fair way off the top team. So yes, the title contender hype that people were throwing around about Aston Martin, that was way, way off. But the sensible hype about them taking a big step forward is undeniably true. And if they can take a genuine shot at that third spot, then that will will spell success. And I'll tell you what, Matt, Lawrence Stroll, straight after the race, described this, not as a sign they're going to take the title. He said... It's a sign that they will be able to fight for the title in the next five years and they've made a big step forward. And I think that that adds a little context to what we saw today. 
Yeah. And I think we even saw uh, Alonzo trying to walk back a little bit. Some of the excitement the team had um, been experiencing uh, since testing and their amazing looking and now obviously in real life results. Although I am happy that you've already given me the chance to pedantically correct you. Mm-hmm. First thing in the season, as right now, Aston are actually second in the Constructors' Championship <laughs> so, after today's race. So, okay. So, obviously, like, the, the points shake out how they shake out, and there was retirements. Um, but definitely, like, all of our preseason chat was about who's going to come out with, you know, the order of the competitive cars. And, and from today, you know, they are very much in that battle, third or fourth. But it is because Mercedes have, have fallen back. Um, they've made a good step. They're clearly at the head of of the best of the rest although we can kind of tear that up now there's like a mini league now like a a top 3.5 yeah well i mean no one's going to blame you for thinking a zebra is a horse which is what everyone was saying about aston but no they're an actual zebra and and i'd say that there's a top four now which includes both mercedes and aston and then there's the midfield and uh, that's going to be a different story. We can definitely argue about that. I think I'm. I think I'm seeing it as a there's a there's a top two, and then there's a, a two behind that could could challenge a bit later. Chris, well, I think Aston Martin has proved that they can challenge Ferrari as well, given that Carlos Sainz, but you know, particularly in the races, because the Ferrari of Carlos Sainz was struggling with the deg a little bit more than uh, I think Leclerc was. So if that car's not operating at 100%, which it doesn't seem to be doing right now, then Aston can very much challenge uh, Ferrari to be that yeah. last step on the podium um, at the moment. And they are most definitely in the well, mix with Mercedes. <laughs> it's a huge relief to see a midfield team uh, that claims it can eventually start fighting for wins and and championships actually start to come good on that claim which brings me to alex van jean a great day for you i know how much you love both verstappen and fernando (laughs) alonso so them taking all the plaudits must have just been wonderful so despite my feelings of how they are as people (laughs) um something i've never stride away uh, shied away from is the fact that alonso and Max are fabulous racing drivers. Of course. What Alonso proved today, for me, where he is not only a great racing driver, he's also a very fair racing driver. The moves, the racing that he did with Lewis and the racing he did with Carlos was fair, clean, left just enough space, but there was no running people off the circuits and things like that, which just showed a massive amount of respect, which may have been lacking from the guy who didn't have to do any racing today. Oh, you could just let's just make it about Fernando Alonso. We don't have to do that, Chris. Well, we we've had glimpses of this Alonso in recent years when Alpine has had a competitive car um, at the occasional race, uh, but now I think we're going to see it on a much more regular basis, and that's because you know, Spanish, this car has made such a huge leap forward that car in qualifying was some two and a half seconds quicker than it was this time last year and that's not just you know the development over the season that is all the off-season work that has been done by all the new uh, recruits that seem to have been announced and made like years ago but of course there was gardening leave there was ndas to sign there was you have to finish up this contract and then you're not allowed to go and work for this team for this amount of time suddenly all these new recruits have arrived 
and they are definitely having an impact already on this car. And I don't think this is even final form Aston Martin because they are moving into their new uh, factory, the new big thing that they've been working on, the smart factory, I think they're calling it, um, the first of its kind. And they're going to be moving into that just after the Spanish Grand Prix. So that could even uh, help keep them in this position throughout the season. This, to me, just shows that the prophecy that... You made Spanners when Aston first came into, when Lawrence Stroll oh, first yeah. came into the sport, yeah, yeah. that he is building a team to make Lance a world champion. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how long, how long Alonso wants to stand, stand, stay around and <laughs> get in the way. But it really looks like yeah. that they have the ability to move forward. Are they going to win the championship this year? No. Are they going to pick up podiums this year? Absolutely. We've already seen one today. Are they going to pick up wins? Possibly. You know, we Possibly. don't know how dominant that Red Bull is going to be, but there is definitely the opportunity for Aston Martin. This is such a great first proper step into jumping into that echelon of being a top team in Formula One. Go on, Chris, quick one. And, and they did tease us, didn't they, throughout Friday? Uh, because I think the Red Bull was not running at its complete optimum. They seemed to be lacking a little bit of pace. A lot of confidence was lost after what was a very good testing um, for them and maybe Aston were running in higher power modes or running slightly lighter on on the fuel and distorting the image a little bit to the point that when Alonso was fifth in qualifying we were disappointed but that just goes to yeah. show the the step forward um, that they've made but absolutely I do think they're going to be in contention on a, a lot this season well you say employees I say employee and we all know that we're really talking about Dan Fallows here who was a chief aerodynamicist at Red Bull. And I think I should also mention there was a lawsuit that we forgot to say about when fellows could actually start. And I'm just thinking that he brought more than just aerodynamic information in his head. Now, there were allegations never proven. But if I look at the Aston and I look at the Red Bull, they share characteristics that I see in no other car on the grid. And that's fantastic for them. Mm. That's a big part of their success and entirely allowable under the rules of Formula One. But they seem to have an advantage that no other team has been able to crack. Helmut Marco did say that he felt there was nothing wrong with Dan Fallows' memory. Uh, yeah, so Dan Fallows obviously had a big... Uh, impact on this car, but so have all the other recruits. A Formula One team is so much more than just you know one person. In the same way, it's not just about the driver. There's been a big collective effort. You know, we don't say that Adrian Newey is responsible solely for the success of uh, Red Bull as well. It's a huge team effort. Okay, I really don't want to get too like carried away with um, a, a victory party and a, and a milk float and a parade when <laughs> it's just you know it's one race and they did do well and Mercedes slipped back and signs seemed absolutely nowhere and and Leclerc had an engine failure. But you know what? Aston Martin didn't have an engine failure and Alonso didn't fall back on the tired egg and Aston Martin didn't drop the ball on their concept. So they have absolutely earned this race. So I want to remember that it is a race review and I think we'll we'll have a couple of weeks to to try and dissect how sustainable their push is over the course of the season. Alex. I mean, how long now until all of a sudden Aston start having engine niggles <laughs> and we we're do. not getting power from the engine. I mean, Joe Saywood has told us for years that a, um, a manufacturer team will not be beaten by a customer. So how do 
Mercedes engineer that one. Okay. I so- also want to know how badly Aston Martin have broken the cost cap to get to this point. <laughs> Happy to take it like a DQ for this oh, year to be in amazing shape for next year. Well, I mean, uh, their catering budget must be awesome. Right, again, right, you've just accused for Mercedes of sabotage, Aston Martin of financial misconduct. That is all the opinions of Alex Van Jean. Go and follow him and, and his projects in the show notes below. We'll link to those all. They they weren't opinion. They weren't um, accusations. They they were questions. Okay, so as Alex Van Jean was questioning whether they would become sabotage and financial, uh, you know, uh, uh, criminals. I don't think that they will be, but there is a big question mark over obviously how much of the budget cap has Aston Martin put, how much have they front loaded their season, and those are questions that won't get answered until it evolves over the. the the next few races but for now i think we really do enjoy the fact that we've got fernando alonso scrapping with the top teams and the top characters in formula one seeing him fighting wheel to wheel with lewis hamilton and carlos Sainz today was an absolute delight and i tell you what chris as Mm. as alex was pointed out like it doesn't feel like anything's faded he raced clean he raced hard he raced raced skillfully he 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 was on the edge, like the back end was sliding out when he was uh, when he was fighting uh, signs. Oh, and Hamilton as well. So he was on that limit, and some of the yeah. overtaking moves he pulled off were just incredible. The impossible one down the inside of Lewis Hamilton. Well, you thought we thought, well, okay, he's made that move, but now you're going to be painting elevens down the track, <laughs> and there's going to be a chance for a cutback. Nailed it. Yeah, I mean, he's lost absolutely none of it. Not since he lost both, uh, won both his world titles, since he was fighting for world championships at Ferrari. And, you know, he's been really wasted since he left Ferrari in, in Formula One when he was driving for a very uncompet- uh, uncompetitive McLaren Honda team, when he was driving for Alpine um, as well. It's so great to see him fighting towards the front of the field again in a competitive car where he can properly demonstrate those skills because he is one of the best drivers on the grid. He is up there with with Hamilton, with Verstappen, yeah, despite Alex. his age. Uh, and uh, it's just great. It's just great to see him back at the uh, back at the front. Okay, steady on with the age. He's a very young man, Alex. For a Formula One driver, <laughs> um, the interesting thing he was interviewed after the race about that move uh, on Lewis and on Sainz uh, into Turn Ten. Now, Turn yeah. Ten's a very horrible corner, corner because it's downhill, off camber, while turning and braking. The things you do not want to do when driving a racing car because it just induces lock up lock ups, as we saw plenty of during the race and practice and qualifying. Alonso said that, first of all, he had superior grip to both sure. Sainz and yeah. Hamilton. But the problem is, is he trusted Lewis enough not to cut across him as he made a lunge um, and he managed to get it stopped. But even if Lewis did come across to defend himself, if they hadn't have hit each other, he'd have messed himself up for the following corner. So yeah. Al- Alonso was well aware that he could have pulled the move off then or on the subsequent on the subsequent strike, but that just shows such foresight when you're racing somebody to understand what's coming, and that's what makes a great overtake. Lots of people have, you know, people talk about dive bombs and things like that. Most of the time, it's all planned, and that's what the great racing drivers do. They plan ahead and they know when they're going to pounce and how they're going to make that move work. And it was beautifully executed by Fernando. Matt. Well, one of the things that I like most about this is that both Hamilton and Alonso come to us from a slightly 
older era of Formula One racing when cars were much more fragile, when things broke more often, and they were frankly not nearly as safe as they are in in uh, in today's uh-huh. yeah. currency units. Um, and I think that might explain some of the real dance that we got between the two of them. But I do feel like I have to point out real quick that this all started when Alonso and his first stint caught up to Hamilton and got within undercut range. And Mercedes actually cut short Hamilton's stint. Yeah. He complained. He's like, my tires for your gullet. Why am I coming in? And they're like, undercut from Alonso. Alonso got an overcut, lost a few tenths a lap put on fresher tires, and caught back up to him. So it was not just an on-track battle. This was also a strategic battle that Aston did a very good job with. And I'll tell you where else they both come from as well, Matt. They come from a pre-DRS, pre-Curs background, when you had to race the old-fashioned way by offsetting the driver ahead's lines into a corner, making them make a little mistake on the exit of a corner that will get you a run. And if you think about the move, especially the move on Hamilton into turn 10 as well, no assistance from any kind of overtaking aid whatsoever. It was just good, proper, old-fashioned racing. And you saw it in the moment when he was battling Lewis into turn uh, four as well, when uh, when they sort of almost collided. Alonso had that big swapper and yeah. Lewis came back underneath him when Lewis very nearly had his entire car off the circuit trying to get the undercut on him because Alonso was you know tight to the inside to stop Lewis making that uh, that undercut maneuver to to come back at him and that that's the kind of thing that these kind of drivers will will think about because that's how they had to do it back in the day so i don't i definitely i'm not trying to pick on stroll here but alex we've we've set, talked about stroll's like awareness in his mirrors and he has turned in on an awful lot of cars. So in a turn 10 like that, where Lewis Hamilton took the line that you have to take to get the best uh, exit, and if he'd have defended, he's compromising the exit. If if Alonso's behind Stroll, he's not necessarily going to send it down the inside because you're not going to trust that someone doesn't just come across it and, and clatter it. But surely this shows that you know if, if F1 really focuses on the fundamentals of racing, like on drivers being there fully on merit, a big talented field room for young talent to also be there with more cars at the back of the grid and, and bringing in the, the specness and the similarity of the cars just a little. That's the kind of racing we can get with real experienced top class racers. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to have to do something else today. I really don't want to do, that I really don't like doing, which is where I'm going to have to give some praise to Lance Stroll as well. All right, let's move on. The guy has two (laughs) broken wrists and a busted toe, had no practice, no testing in the car, and was there and did the job. I mean, okay, turn four on the first lap, he nearly wiped out his teammate. (laughs) But after that, he was flawless and he drove brilliantly well. He split the Mercedes and I think you couldn't, Lance couldn't have done a better job today. I thought he did an absolutely outstanding oh, okay. job and you know how much this uh, yeah, hurts no, me I know. to say. I know, I know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to like get at the guy, but it's a bit of a strange caveat to say after the things that went wrong went wrong, he was fine. So like on the on the outlap to the formation lap to the grid, he didn't he make went it. Off. He went off. And and he went off in the in the way that you would go off if you weren't quite confident in your wrists and your steering. And you go, Oh no, something is gonna happen here. And frankly, Alex, as much as you want to praise the performance afterwards, 
He sent it down the inside of George Russell without awareness of what was going on up ahead, hit his teammate in the rear tyre with a very hard, pointy, carbon fibre front wing. This could be a very different race review today where we could be talking about whose fault is it where Fernando Alonso's greatest chance of a, of a podium and success has been ended by Lance Stroll puncturing his rear tyre. However, what we would have seen is an explosion from Fernando Alonso <laughs> and the Aston Martin relationship ending very, very quickly. Um, damn, I wish Lance had hit him harder. Um, I, I don't actually, know. It actually, uh, my understanding is he actually hit him with the nose of the car, oh. which is why it didn't, first of all, oh. damage Lance's front wing and didn't cause more damage okay. to Fernando. Well, that's so he even, was a very lucky boy. That's even, that's even luckier. And I'm still pretty sure, from what I've heard, that even if Lance Stroll had wiped out Fernando Alonso... After the race, he would have said, at first, I want to pay tribute to my teammate for making it to the grid today, because he said that about four times. And yes, you're absolutely right, Alex. It was a monumental effort to get back and fit, but he clearly wasn't 100%. I I can't imagine many other drivers who I think would have made that. I think there's definitely a political will and effort to get him onto the grid. But look, we got. I I think, personally, we got lucky. We had a very obviously injured driver on the grid, and I think just because it didn't cause a major problem this time, I I don't think that makes it a correct decision. Do we want to talk about him having to be assisted out of the car? And would he have... Should he have been driving? Uh, Chris? Well, I'm no medical expert. Sure. Um, I'm, you know, and I haven't really seen the extraction test. I mean, uh, for my money, if it's uh, if the doctors say he's okay to race, then I think he's he's okay to race. But you know, just on that uh, the collision that very nearly ruined what would have been a magical uh, weekend <laughs> yes. for Aston Martin. Mm. Um, and this is not a defensive stroll. This is just kind of an added context to the scenario. Of course, Alonso was kind of checking up in that corner because he wanted to cut underneath the car in front of him. I forget mm-hmm. who it was. Um, so he Hamilton. was deliberately yeah. slow into that corner to try and get the better exit. And while Lance is simultaneously steaming into a corner to try and get up the inside of uh, somebody. I, and I don't the think two kind that's of the, the defence. Okay. Well, no, I see it's, what you're it's saying. not a defence. Yeah. But yeah, it's you've, not you've, a defence. It's just a fact. You've got to expect, expect racing on lap one you, and... Absolutely. Part of your job is not to go steaming into any battles ahead. And um, he was very, very, very lucky very. that Alonso did not come away with a puncture because he took a couple of whacks on that car and it was built pretty strongly. Trumpets. I just wanted to add that I think the point you're making here is a good one. It very much looked like Stroll, whether on purpose or by accident, um, changed lanes, so to speak, on the exit of turn one. And that is never a great idea at the start of a race because you have so much going on. But I also want to bring up the fact that he had a, a bit of a moment on the way to the grid. And it's possible that either his brakes were slightly glazed. Yeah. Um, and, and he may not have had them functioning as he expected them to on the way into turn one. So it's, it's a little bit hard to know exactly how much we should blame him for this, especially if it was more of a mechanical, technical problem for him. They uh, they didn't tell Alonso either that it was Lance that hit him because oh, so he would have he would have gone off on one, and he apparently he was asking, "Did that guy get a penalty? Did that guy get a penalty?" He thought it and was George. Yeah, and so they didn't uh, they didn't tell him until after uh, the race when it was uh, it was it was all good. <laughs> So perhaps the, the driver of the day today could, could well uh, have a strong case uh, that it goes to the recruiting staff at Aston Martin. 
because yeah, obviously not only have they got Dan Fallows and a and new crew in there and they're driving forward with development of their facilities, but the hire of Fernando Alonso on the evidence of one race today is starting to look really inspired. I love Sebastian Vettel. Okay, let me just preface this. Uh-oh. But I do not think that he could have done today what Fernando Alonso did. I think Sebastian Vettel was in his sunset era where he was not always performing in the way that we used to see him during the Red Bull glory days or even when he was at Ferrari. Uh, meanwhile, Fernando Alonso is not even close to There's sunset. Be some it's, not even, it's not even dusk. It's okay, still okay. midday. Qu- quick argument, quick diversion for an argument, because I think Alex is going to disagree with you. I- I'll <laughs> back you up a little bit, because I remember in the Vettel Red Bull days, people did used to get critical that his overtaking and getting through the pack actually wasn't that hot. And if he ever did have a good race getting through the pack, like, and, and it did happen every now and then, of course, on the commentary and and um, the socials, people would go, see, see, all that criticism is unfounded because he did well this one time at it. I, I don't think Sebastian Vettel was at the level of Fernando Alonso, which is a very, very high bar in wheel-to-wheel uh, combat like we saw today. Alex, go on, you're going to defend him. It's not I really an think... attack. It's not really a t- an attack on Vettel. We're just no, talking no, no. about how good uh, and, Alonso and is. And I'm not going on a yeah. staunch defence, but what I think was in the last few years, he kind of got fed up. And I think that's part of the reason he retired. He's like, I'm not going to get back into a top team. I'm not going to get back into any car that can give me any form of winning or even a sniff of a podium on a regular basis. <clears throat> oh, he's dying. Some Sorry, people mute. My, some my, pe- my, cor- my corona's getting caught in my throat. <laughs> some people mute um, when they're dying, but up to you. Artistic corona, the drink. The drink. Right? The drink. You don't, the you're drink. not ill. I'm not ill. I'm fine. Um, but I think if you put him in that car in testing, and all of a sudden for that, um, Sebastian Vettel had a sniff of a p- potential okay. charge, I think you'd see that switch turn back on. Because you, you do with drivers. And we all know he's capable when it's there, and I think he could turn that switch on. Matt. Yeah, well, I mean, I think just to sort of wrap up the endless Vettel speculation that will never be proved one way or the other, because, of course, he's retired. I think we saw that when he was in, we saw him in Hungary give a great race. I I think it could be argued that on a single day, he might have been able to do similar things that we saw Alonso today. But what's very clear is that over the course of this season, he no longer had the appetite for it, which is why he's at home with his kids and his uh, solar-powered house. And Alonso is racing in Aston. Well, all the focus is on the champagne popping in the Aston Martin garage. And I hope they are having a wonderful celebration, a completely deserved podium and a a victory in terms of their step up the grid. And now they have something. They have a prize. They have a goal. And, and I hope they can stay up there. I hope they can, they can cling on and, and, not the, and not have this fade away, as, as some teams do when they have a good start from the midfield. But right now, you'd have to say they're the third fastest package. And that is an incredible achievement. So they didn't win. <laughs> we have to go to the, the, the teams that actually won. And again, Alex Van Gene celebrating. Massive Max Verstappen fan. And I tell you what, George Russell has given it. He's given it to Verstappen already. George Russell has said, Max Verstappen is going to win every single race this season. I wouldn't put it past him. 
I mean, the performance they had today was incredible. Uh, we haven't seen a gap of more than 10 seconds at Bahrain since 2016. At the front. And then to, Is that right? in, in front as a winning oh. margin. And you have to go back, I think I saw as far as 2010 to go that as well. So you normally see quite close gaps, um, at least within five, six seconds at, Bar- at Bahrain. And that's not what we got today. And I am 90% certain that after the first pit stop, Max was just strolling. I think we heard at one point yeah. Alonso said, I'm at, I'm at mode seven. I can turn it up if you need to. I think Max was probably on mode three or four. So, yeah, Leclerc said something like, oh, we're, we're a second a lap off of Red Bull. And my first thought was, you don't know how far you are off Red Bull. That wasn't, that wasn't them with the wick turned up going for it. So that 2010 margin... That ended up being one of the best seasons the sport has ever seen with a five-way title battle. So let's not put all our eggs in the Max Verstappen basket just yet, because I've seen a lot of comments, oh, the season's over, Max Verstappen 2023 champion confirmed. Same people probably who said it after testing as well. This is one race of 23. There is an awfully long way to go. Now, that being said, we cannot deny the Red Bull was an unstoppable force this weekend. Max straight out the blocks, about a second lap quicker than anyone else in the first few laps, established that gap. And uh, so we know it's got great qualifying pace because they locked out the front row, albeit not with a proper challenge from Mercedes um, or Ferrari. Uh, But they were able to extend their stints massively to the point where they were able to run another set of soft tires which just extended their margin and their advantage going further on the softs than ferrari managed to do on the hard tires now they are a car it seems to be that is quite tough on its tires during the race particularly um this weekend bahrain is a circuit where you normally see incredibly high tire degradation not just because of the heat but because of the super abrasive surface as well but it seems to have all the hallmarks of a great race car as well so chris likes it matt (laughs) well this is very interesting um in race pace i think red bull is right now untouchable i mean the fact that they went soft soft hard uh, they're just pretty much telling everybody explain explain why that's that signal uh, the degradation, the, their ability to control the tire degradation for the softest tire at this race was double anybody else's. And that includes Aston's. So they were able to put on a soft tire and another soft tire and then just use the hard to finish up and be well, well ahead of every other team. It, it was a massive show of confidence in this platform from the team and uh, from the drivers as well. What was interesting about today was the fact that had Leclerc not been able to get in front of Perez at the start, we might have seen a much closer race at the front for the win. Because we don't really know, benchmark-wise, where Perez and Verstappen are because Max, as you point out rightly, was driving in clean air with very little to worry about. So his lap times aren't usable for a good comparison. And we did see that uh, Sergio was able to go longer than Max still on uh, those those soft tyres because Checo is 
traditionally very good on his tyres. What he's known for is how he managed to get all those good podium finishes when he was racing for Force India in the midfield um, back in the day. Um, so I would be very interested to see how he gets on if he'd have been able to beat Leclerc um, off the line. Matt. So uh, to get back to the question, will Max win every race? I have a one-word response. Monaco. Uh, go on, Chris, and then Jeansy. What was really interesting to me as well was during that first in, we really saw a management phase, which we kind of didn't get last year because supposedly the tyres were better uh, for following closely behind and you weren't going to get that thermal degradation or that overheat surface overheating that means that as soon as you get close to anyone, you have to drop back. Mm. Whereas we really saw a lot of management today which doesn't fill me with a great deal of confidence for the racing, but we'll see as the season goes on. Alex? So yeah, we talk about Red Bull being very good on the soft tyre, and obviously Sergio able to go much, much longer than Max. Is that because he was going much, much slower than Max? <laughs> yeah, look, look I, I would love to make the case myself that, yeah, Perez could have done so much more if he'd have made a good start. Well, do you know what? There's a couple of things, which is that it, it, that that mega monster fighting star isn't in Perez's arsenal. It doesn't seem to be. He much prefers to to survive and get through, and that that's probably how you survive and thrive and get great results in the midfield. You know, a few cars around you ding their end plates, break a nose, have a crash, and then and then you can choose your strategy, make the tires work, and then suddenly pop up in in third place and get a great podium at the front. You need to be a little bit more fighty. So that's that's number one is, well, he didn't get that kind of start and go up behind him. And secondly, when they did have clear air between them, there wasn't really any evidence that Perez was going to claw that gap back. So if Perez does prove to have some, have some race pace in future races, that's fine. But I'm not necessarily thinking that there's any... There's no suggestion, is there, Alex, that it, this was anything other than Verstappen dominance. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if Perez wants any chance of actually having an opportunity to beat Max in a race, he needs to get to turn one in first place. Mm. If he doesn't do that, he's never going to come back and beat Max. It's a bit like Bottas, a bit like when Bottas would only have an opportunity to beat Lewis properly when he was ahead at the start and then could manage the tyres and manage the, the, the strategy. Otherwise the other driver just came through. So you say there's no evidence, but I will point out, if you look at the gap between Perez to Verstappen and qualifying, I kind of think there is evidence that he is much more on top of this car than he was on last year's car. And the other thing I want to say regarding my one-word answer, Monaco, is that Ferrari are also not very far off of qualifying pace. So at any race where qualifying matters, which I think is pretty much Monaco, Red Bull do actually, as it stands now, look to have a greater task ahead of them. I'm, I'm over qualifying, though. I'm over it. I'm, I'm over seeing that as a barometer of who's fast. I'm, I'm actually over anyone getting excited over the Saturday result as well, because Max Verstappen could have qualified 10th today and would have cantered and been in first place by the halfway point, by the second stop. Long have we been saying Valtteri Bottas could overcome and beat Lewis Hamilton because they've got similar qualifying pace. It is. It's all about race pace. It's all about Sunday. And and I, I, as much as, yes, it's good that Perez isn't qualifying eighth at the moment, 
when I say this is a Paris fan, <laughs> I, I, that doesn't bode. It doesn't mean that just because he's closed up the gap in qualifying, he's he's then going to match Max on race pace. Sorry, Chris, then Alex. Well, Checo was very, very quick at certain circuits, including Jeddah last year, which is where we're going to next. Oh, yeah. So okay. maybe we will see a slight resurgence from him. But it seems like for the early part of the season anyway, it needs to be Checo because... Do you remember when Lewis was w- winning all those races and we used to say, thank God for Max Verstappen uh, for no. making races what? somewhat <laughs> somewhat interesting oh, I see. by fighting, <laughs> yeah, by yeah, fighting yeah, yeah. with Bottas at least. Yeah. I think now we're going to be saying, thank goodness for uh, Fernando Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps, yeah. Uh, Alex? I'm going to agree with you, Spanners, on, on qualifying is not much of a barometer anymore, especially because if Ferrari are having to compromise their race performance to put in a qualifying performance to be up the grid... They can just con- continue to melt their tyres, which is what they did today. We saw signs get gobbled up by yeah. Fernando Alonso, and Hamilton wasn't too far off either when that car should have been well down the road before the Ferrari broke down. But also, one thing we've forgotten about is that Red Bull wasn't bulletproof today. Max was complaining about rear locking on downshifts. Now, that could be some form of gearbox issue. That could be an engine management issue. So, you know, and also it makes a drivability issue because if you have rear locking coming mm. into heavy braking corners, it's quite easy to lose the car. Hence the reason I think we saw Max got and kind of go, right, I'm going to back off now and just bring this home. Isn't rear locking usually something to do with engine recovery or energy recovery, Matt? Uh, yeah, it can be. Um, the Right. So the braking on a Formula One car is kind of complicated. It's not just like your road car, but uh, a big cause of rear locking could either be the brake migration being wrong or getting caught out a little bit by recovery at the rear axle, which is the only place you're allowed to recover energy from. I was going to say persistent rear locking, because obviously if it was just brake bias, they'd they'd quickly dial that out, wouldn't they? Yeah. 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 So there's brake, there's a gross adjustment of brake bias and then there's also a brake migration and that has i think five different maps and i don't know how many other settings but yeah i mean to be honest red bull weren't super happy with the car when it showed up friday after being very happy with it in testing so they look imperturbable they look on top of it but you know i still remember brazil when they should have been on top of it and just absolutely got it wrong they're still human beings. Things can still go wrong. And if you want any real indication of Verstappen's dominance today, we just spent five minutes talking about whether there was a slight niggle on the downshift, which they very casually discussed and had an engineering meeting on the team radio, which really shows how comfortable they were. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Tafosi. How you feeling? How you feeling, buds? All right, we're getting down the grid a little bit now. And there's a few sadder fans listening to this. Don't worry. You're a resilient crew, the, the Ferrari fans. You're used to this. You you didn't spend time getting your hopes up, did you, during testing? And to be fair to Ferrari, they didn't do their, their normal thing of just disappearing off into the distance and doing glory laps. But Leclerc on the on the gridwalk said to one of the roving reporters, yeah, no, we would have done if we could. <laughs> we just couldn't do it. Uh, and we, I hope we have more on race pace. Now, my opinion is they've they've picked a driver they've developed towards leclerc the the rumors that signs would be more comfortable with that car don't seem to have come come to pass they have they have in the form of leclerc got a package a driver and car package that can be somewhat competitive and that is the one car that one one car driver package that i that i have some hope can can deliver some good genuine results However, the gremlin of reliability came up again. And this is an issue I want to address with, with Matt first. To get this out of the way, the retirement of Charles Leclerc, we've had this argument lots and lots that they were right. I think you said it. They were right to pursue performance and sort the reliability out later because that was the only thing that could be changed under the engine freeze. It, improvements for reliability. I think they've got reliability, unreliability baked in. And I think that is the reflection of maybe a general engineering attitude of let's make it as good as we can and then sort the rest out later. Well, now it's later and they've just lost out on a podium. Well, I'm not sure I would entirely agree with you. I think the regulation set forces teams that are not at the front to choose, you know, choose your poison, so to speak. Um, the failure, as I understand it to be, was with the control electronics in the energy store. Now, I will point out that prior to the race, they replaced both of those items. So we could be looking at a slightly fumble-fingered Derek not connecting something properly as much as a major reliability concern for Ferrari. Again, with a single data point, it's hard to... No. I don't want to extrapolate <laughs> too, too much here. Oh, I'm happy to. not the failures we okay. saw last time. But I'm happy to extrapolate. It's, a, it's an endemic sign of decreased reliability, and that's going to take them out of the game, Chris. Well, of course, one of their goals, acknowledged weaknesses from last season, was that they didn't have enough reliability. And supposedly, that's one of the things that they tried to solve during the off-season. And to have a failure like this in the first race, was the fact that it was related to the two components that were changed right before the start of the race would suggest that it was something to do with that. But 
is not a great early sign, particularly to have that on the one car that actually seemed anywhere near capable of being able to challenge Red Bull at any point because it wasn't on Carlos's side of the garage. He was yeah. really struggling. So uh, Alex is going to take us away from tech for a moment. I just want to say, like, I do have experience <laughs> with fault finding. So if there's something wrong with a bit and then you change it and then that bit fails again, you either A, did a, a finger fault like Matt suggested and the fault is because you fitted it wrong or you've got a bad batch so they could have, you know, the, the part they replaced is also faulty or you've misdiagnosed it and there's, say, a different component that's blowing up your two things. And it doesn't matter how many things you put on there. I've had that before. It can drive you absolutely crazy. So that was just a quick fault-finding tangent with spanners. Alex, take us away from this tech hell. The other thing that Ferrari have set out to improve this season is their strategy. And they move their main strategy person away from the team, and he's now working back at the factory, and they have new people working on strategy. And we know the strategy was better today because... When they came on to tell Charles what plan he was on, he was still on plan A. <laughs> this was like 10 laps into the race. They're normally on plan G or Z yeah. <laughs> by this point of the race. So I was just yeah. impressed that they managed to actually stick to their strategy. Well, did you did you see the pictures of the Ferrari garage? They were all just like looking around for someone who remembers the last time they did plan A and what plan A was and where they kept plan A. <laughs> Matt. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to love it. Uh, it was clearly their strategy to split the Red Bulls. They achieved this. Leclerc was in what seemed to be a reasonable position for a podium, thanks to Stroll, you know, hitting Alonso, whether or not on purpose, that remains to be oh, seen. Oh, wow, what are we doing? Why are we casting those kind of allegations? I, I'm just I'm just being hyperbolic for the sheer enjoyment of it. I think you're right. Oh, oh hang on. First. I can have a dig at Lance Stroll. He's not good enough to do that by accident. Oh, my God. Okay, Ooh. great. We, All right. We, we, we are never going to get those Aston Martin dinners where we then come out saying Lawrence Stroll is brilliant and Lance Stroll is a future world champion with this kind of attitude. So we need to tighten it up until we get that invite and then we all come out praising Lance Stroll. Get with the program. Trumpets. Yeah, so uh, so Ferrari, having made some changes, were looking good on the strategic front till they lost Leclerc. And then we got to see, uh, in the form of a Carlos Sainz, the issues that they were certainly going to have with the tires here. And I, this is where I got to point out, first of all, they suffered more on the rear axle with degradation than on the front axle last season. Everywhere. Bahrain is a rear-limited right, circuit, yeah. and oh, that's going to make it ah. worse. And they've gone skinnier. They're faster now, but now they have less downforce to help with that. And the thing that no one talked about, but I do want to bring up, is don't forget, Pirelli brought new front tires to this race to help the front be stronger. And if you're making the front stronger, guess where you're putting more strain now? the back of the car. So in some ways, this is possibly the worst combination for Ferrari to start the year out with because it's it's going to put the most stress on the place where they have the most problem. Jetta is a different animal, and I'll be curious to see if their degradation is better at Jetta than it was here yeah. relative to their competitors. So I've I've criticized the the early calendar, certainly last season, because I felt like the second, the last two thirds of the calendar are filled with tracks that I like, Matt. You know, like I feel like proper Grand Prix tracks, the big tilkadromes. Whereas what we're we starting with now, we've got we've got Bahrain. So that's obviously I like Bahrain. I, I consider that um, a nice modern track for Formula One cars. Then we've got uh, Jeddah, 
uh, Australian Grand Prix, haven't we? After that, yeah. and then where do we kick off into the Baku? Baku. So, so that is that. That's really limited again, isn't it? So that, it could be a bit of a rough start for Ferrari, to be honest. Yeah, it's a bit down to to track characteristics, but this is the I think this is like the um what would you call it? the worst possible combination oh, okay. for them to start with. It's going to make them look as bad as possible. We might see some improvement as we go to different tracks, but you're right. We're not really going to understand how the cars are running until we get to some uh, like Jeddah, like this circuit, Bahrain has no what are considered to be high speed corners. So if you're good in high speed corners, Today is not your day, no matter what. And it might be that some teams that are really good in the medium-slow corners are terrible in high-speed corners, and we could see things shifting as a result. The trouble is, the vast majority of circuits are rear-limited. So if there is an is issue it? where... Chris, the, the, citation no, needed? No, no, no. They, they no. kind of are. <laughs> no. <laughs> I will just disagree with you. We no, can okay, talk fine. about it later if you want. You but. can if you want, but they just are. And the vast majority of circuits is the rear tires that are going to go first. Uh, we should have. We should clarify that in midweek then, and we'll uh, we'll have an internal argument. No, in fact, you two don't discuss it again. We'll come on midweek and we'll have a, just a focused, proper debate about that. But I don't want to get bogged down in it. But certainly, different tracks will have this different characteristics. Another reason, really, not to just give up on the season. We could turn up in Jeddah and Australia, and you could have two different winners. Red Bull could be plagued with unreliability, or Perez could rise like a... No, that's probably not going to happen. But I don't think people should just give up on the season. Or we could do what we normally do and just let our live chat decide. So our patrons are now uh, in our live chat because they're in our patron Slack group. And they basically sit here and uh, criticise us, point us out any problems, tell us who's right or wrong in arguments and give us pithy and hilarious things to say. Like, was it Mike Stoner who said Ferrari's plan A is let Max win? So little things like that. So if you ever see the panel gently losing it over the video... That's because they've read comments from the live chat. If you want to be a patron, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We can offer you the Slack group and the live chat. We can offer an ad-free feed. We can offer an extra patron podcast where we go a little bit more relaxed and and off topic as well. Um, And also, our latest edition is a Friday preview on a race weekend where me and Matt will hit record for half an hour and we'll just have a, a gut reaction response to what we've seen on Friday practice. Like... Uh, this Friday, it was just me, Matt, uh, me and Matt, and I was sulking about how all the people I liked weren't doing very well, and all the people I didn't like were doing really, really well. And Matt was trying to talk me down off a cliff. So uh, you can check that out: patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Now then, onto the midfield. That might be harsh, but let's talk about Mercedes, who at the moment um, are the best of the rest behind the top three alex that's it that's the facts that is the facts at the moment which is if you look at those three cars mercedes are lining up fourth on race pace which is all i care about lewis finished fifth that's not midfield <laughs> that's quite good <laughs> <laughs> listen there's not much to be said about merck they seem in a complete disarray inside the inside the business um Toto has been saying they need to. They now need to change their concept after oh. a practice, after a testing session, a practice session, a race. He's gone right. The concept's dead. We. He said after qualifying, Alex. They're they're basically giving up on this concept already. And is it right? Is it wrong? I don't know. All I know is it's rubbish. Um, for 
everyone who's a Mercedes fan. And I mean, to be fair, I don't feel bad for Lewis. I feel bad for George because George busted his backside. You know, Williams pulling out performances that he that were incredible. Went to Mercedes to go fight for championships, and he's not been allowed to do that. Um, I would love to see Mercedes back fighting at the front. It's not going to be this season, and um, yeah, they've got they're, they're going to have a big fight for third with oh, with no. the Astons. Oh, Chris, look how look how sad <laughs> how Alex looks. Look at his little face. Cheer him up right now. Uh, I can't because Toto also described today as one of their worst days in racing. And uh, it's not looking like it's going to get solved anytime soon because this change of concept, because it basically requires an entirely new chassis, a W14B, so to speak, they can't do that mid-season, not in a cost cap era. So this is going to be 2024 at the best. And you can see why they're looking at the, the concept overall because the Mercedes doesn't look like any other car on the grid. I've got some hope that I can, if you need some hope, wow. I can inject a little bit of hope into some people's veins because I think there's been some some internal wranglings and, and I've got some clues. I'm picking apart the psychology from listening to the interviews. Now, Toto Wolf came out on Saturday and he said after one competitive session where they, they qualified sixth and, sixth and seventh and they didn't get to do a second run and neither driver nailed the lap. So they could have gone a little bit higher up that grid. He came out and he delivered what looked like an internal and giant I told you so. Because he had been saying pre-season, he said, I walked into the testing thing and it looked the same and I was, I was horrified. And, and I was assured, no, 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 it is going to be a, a faster car. Don't worry. I think in the winter, it's been Toto Wolf saying, no, why have you gone down that path? And I think the the team behind that concept have gone, You've got to give it a chance. You've got to give it a chance, Mr. Wolf, because it's it's going to nail it. You'll see. Come qualifying. You'll see. And then it's it's turned up and it's not quite delivered for who knows, for whatever reason. And they've not quite had the race pace to be up with the front two. And it doesn't look like they're on top of the tired egg. And Toto Wolf has come out and gone, ah, it's awful. Yeah, it's awful. We've got to scrap it. Lewis Hamilton seems a little weirdly chipper. George Russell is just completely looks to have just given up on the car. But I wonder whether they're going to get back to the factory. There's going to be another meeting. And I, I believe it's going to be maybe Mike Elliott, who seems to be fronting a lot of the talk about the Mercedes concept, is going to get them round a table and go, now I know this didn't look good, Toto, but before you set fire to the whole concept, let me just present some evidence that it deserves another chance and that we should go with our upgrade package. So my, my one bit of hope for Mercedes as a neutral is that actually today is, was, uh, is a bad weekend. It's a bit of an overreaction. They're going to sit down and they're going to see where they might be able to make something work. Or, or they just put it in the bonfire. Yeah, so this is the crux for Mercedes. They showed up. They were six tenths faster than last year. They solved the porpoising problem and they can finally get a good read on those magical wind tunnel numbers that sucked them down this path, if you'll pardon that usage of the word in the context of aerodynamics. Um, and they finally get a read on it. And it's not what they had hoped. And they know that their update package, what they expect it to bring, is not going to make them competitive. Red Bull gained a second, Aston gained 2.4. Clearly, they are struggling to make this work and give them what they want. Granted, this might not be the best track for evaluating it, 
But when Toto Wolf talks about that, he's saying, can we make this car competitive by the end of the season? And the answer is no. And therefore, the question becomes, do we need to go down a different track? And to me, the real question is, what resources is Mercedes ultimately going to point at this car that's on track right now? Are they going to give it enough resources for maybe a driver to win? Are they going to give it enough to maybe chase third if they're close to Aston? Or are they just going to say, we're bringing our next update and it's 2024 or bust? So, Matt, you've said that this isn't the best track to evaluate the car, really. And I yeah. agree with you. It's a, it's a heavy abrasive circuit. It's not really a high, high downforce, high aero circuit. So normally we say Spain, but Spain is actually ages away. There's like yep. five or six races before we get to Spain. What track do you think between now and Spain will be a good evaluation of it? Or are they all just rubbishy street shacks like Miami? Well, uh, when I say Saudi. that, uh, I would say that a circuit that lets them play to their strengths. I mean, their strengths right now are their tire degradation. They were similar to Aston, just slower in lap time. Maybe they're better at fast speed corners, and we'll find that out at Jeddah or Baku. Um, and, and beyond that, it's going to be a bit of a Frankenstein for the engineers at Mercedes to figure out where they really think they are in the pecking order. But as I said, with a cost cap, with wind tunnel restriction, with CFD restriction, the big issue for Mercedes is how far do I chase third place and how much effort do I put into getting some wins for the drivers if we think that's even in the cards. These are the bigger issues, and I think they'll be answered over the next couple of races. It's worth pointing out that Jeddah is just such a totally different challenge. And uh, yeah, the, a lot of the races in the early part of the season are incredibly different circuits. And it's really great because you start to understand which cars have which certain characteristics. But when you present them with different, very different challenges consecutively towards the start of the season, it can keep things sort of on their toes a little bit. You know, Bahrain is more about slow speed corners, incredibly abrasive circuit, lots of straights, which Jetta also has, but it's also about the high speed um, corners. There's really only one or two slow speed corners on that whole uh, lap. And of course the surface is pretty perfect it's really fresh it's not 20 years old like the surface at, at bahrain and it's super high grip as well so question from the chat from paddy um okay so did mercedes solve the porpoising or have the new regs solved the porpoising for them uh, i think they solved the porpoising because it had mostly gone away by the end of last season Okay, well, great question. And and definitely, Matt, we need to get Summers on here to get a first look. Matthew Summerfield from motorsport.com. We'll, we'll hook up a tech time show whenever we can get hold of him, if we can drag him off the golf course for an hour, and uh, we'll find out what he thinks of the cars that have come out from, from a purely technical point of view. But from a racing point of view, Lewis Hamilton seemed uh, hungry. I, I, I think watching the battle, Matt, I think you pointed out when we were talking about Alonso, they are both really aware of of tire strategy uh, but what was interesting was you you've got to think that alonso was was more pushy so he was saying you know i know we're managing our tires but let's put pressure on lewis hamilton let's see if we can make him burn his tires up or or even if he can because i i, lo- I like those tire saving battles in a way because that is a bit of chess everything you do has repercussions for for 40 laps into the future 
Yeah, and it's maximum driver's skill. If you've ever listened to a race engineer trying to coach a driver through not burning up their tires, you understand just exactly how tragically difficult and the fine margins they play with for the driver who makes that soft last 20 laps instead of 16, for example. And I remember Wolf saying that it was turns, what was it, turns five through seven, turns five through eight. They lost all of their time in just this one tiny sector of the track. And beyond that, they were more or less on pace with the people they wanted to be on pace with. So I don't know. I think Mercedes did normal development. They brought a normal car. They got outclassed by Red Bull and they got utterly demolished, as did the rest of the field, by Aston in terms of how much they brought to this season. and. We don't really know whether Aston's car over a wide variety of track will really be faster than Mercedes yet. So if you're a Mercedes fan, just give it a little time. Let's see. We've just, if we're playing Texas Hold'em, we've just turned over the first card. Maybe you want to wait till we get closer to the river before you start throwing all your eggs into next year's basket. Just hang on in there and, and they might get back to where they were at the end of last season. If you just, if you just wish hard enough. Uh, but look, let's get back to racing, Alex. Um, the other thing you saw, obviously, was George Russell at the beginning of the early stages of the race behind Lewis, um, asking over the radio, <laughs> "Can Lewis go faster? Because I can." Yeah. Um, then he was told that Lewis was struggling. Then George ran wide at turn ten. Mm. And then Lewis proceeded to outpace him until the pit stops. So I don't blame George at all for trying to get a hurry up or insinuate a switch between the two drivers because it was it's next. exactly what I would oh, do, yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah. what any other driver on the group would do. Um, but I, I, I always love those when that's said. He's told he's struggling, and then Lewis has obviously been told yeah. George wants to go past, and Lewis has gone, uh-uh, <laughs> well, turned it up. I don't think it's even that. I think the team just understand what's happening is they were both trying to tie a save, but also they were both starting to struggle and it was going away. So Russell would have known that his tyres were going away, but he's trying to like put on a front to his team and be like, Absolutely. Oh, look, yeah, oh, no, my tyres are fine. I need to get by if he's struggling and then and then goes off track at turn 10. Um, my tyres are so fine, I can't stay on the track. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But, um, but the, the team would have known that, that both those guys were tyre-saving. Were so so they're, 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 they presumably said no. But why it was so important was Russell could see what was coming next, which was Fernando Alonso in the rear mirrors. So, so Russell desperately wanted to be the car ahead. I think Mercedes are pretty fair with the car ahead will get that first strategy call and then Lewis Hamilton got it so whilst Russell was then screaming to be let into the pits Hamilton was being told to box and he had to lose more time fighting Fernando Alonso so I think Russell really he only made one mistake which was not a perfect start and lost out to Lewis Hamilton but the punishment there was exacerbated to then being stuck behind your teammate, then not getting the preferential strategy, getting sucked into the battle with the car behind. And, and I think he got a slow pit stop as well. So he got massively over-penalised for a slightly poor start, which is why at that end of the grid, the start is, is super, super important. But overall, I think that result doesn't do George Russell any justice. I think he was, he was pretty quick today. He looked quick on the lap times. And yes, yes, I think Hamilton had like used up tires fighting Fernando Alonso and trying to stay close but Russell was catching him towards the end as well so yeah I think he can be he can be pretty happy unless anyone wants to poo-poo that and put him down Matt 
No, I, I wouldn't poo-poo him, but I'm just thinking of a Hamilton comment saying that, oh, at the start, they dialed so much understeer. They'd taken so much off his front wing that he had massive, massive understeer at the start of the race and was just really struggling to get the car to turn in. So a lot of times, sort of what we look at as the outcome can be determined by Mercedes saying, oh, we need to take this much off the front wing for the start, and then them just being a little bit wrong about it and the driver just having to cope. So Russell looked good. Hamilton looked good. They're very clearly well-matched. But I wouldn't, again, draw conclusions about one person being super faster or better than the other based on this single race, which is honestly, when I looked at the show notes, I thought, you know what my job is today? Convince everyone that this is just the first race <laughs> and there's 22 more to come and we don't really know everything quite yet. Or you could, of course, fly into a blind panic. Which is, by the way, what I've seen a lot of Mercedes fans doing. And it's gone really over the top on social media. My fault for reading it far too much. But, you know, there's people calling for management's heads to roll. Don't be don't be Ferrari-ish about it. If you if you're a Mercedes fan, and I guess if you've been a Mercedes fan post 2013, 2014, you've probably only known, you know, glory or near to it. It is perfectly normal for, for teams to have you know, little dips and teams do have to make decisions several years out sometimes. And that recovery can take time. Sometimes they do have to make an aim point of, okay, we do have uh, aims for this season, but really we're looking ahead and we know if we sacrifice here, we can go to 2024. And I don't think there's the patience for that in a lot of the Mercedes fan base. Yes, things went wrong last season. You were patient last season, but the fact is they didn't fix it and they could be kind of permanently a year behind for a little while. Sorry, Matt, I was going to move on, but if you've got a point on that. No, the, the point I want to make is just hypothetically, let's remove Aston Martin and their massive improvement from this equation. If you're looking at Mercedes, you're like, oh, they're about where they were last season or sure, maybe yeah. a little well, closer yeah. to Ferrari. So it's at, you would actually be like, okay, we have a base to work with. What's really messed everybody up is the fact that Aston made what I consider to be the biggest single jump from end of season to start of season I have seen since I've been watching the sport. And so full credit to them, but don't let that, um, don't let that affect your thinking about your team's own improvement. That's what I would say. Oh, teams improving, you say. My team's improving, you say. Well, my, my original team from 18 Dickety 7, Williams, the team of Nigel Mansell, of Damon Hill, Ayrton Senna and Prost, I guess. But Coulthard, Rika Hakkinen, all these absolute greats. They should be up at the top of the field. And, and today they did at least sneak into the top half. Christopher Stevens at Chris on Racing on Twitter. Alex Albon. Where did he finish in the end? P9? Uh, it was uh, P10. P10. No? That'll yeah. do. P10. <laughs> that that'll do. do. Williams in the points. Not that many <laughs> yeah. retirements. They're back. Because it didn't happen a lot last year. It didn't um, did it? A lot, no. And uh, that VSC for Leclerc's stricken Ferrari really gave some of those guys just outside oh, the top ten. Or... It. No, no, no. I'm I'm saying it's a good thing because Albon was in that fight the whole race. But what made the real difference was the fact that a lot of them were able to come in for soft tires under that VSC, and suddenly were then able to make up. Qu- 
a bit of ground. Like, don't get me wrong, Albon was there the whole way through that race. But that's what kind of made the difference. And certainly had they not made that decision, then he would have been left exposed to a, a bunch of other drivers who mm. did the same thing, like the Alpha Tauris um, behind him. I think that the Haas guys came in um, as well. Gasly as well, because he was coming up from last on the grid all the way up to P9 as well. Cracking drive from him. But yeah, for Williams, it's a really good start to the the season. They're not just propping up the grid anymore. And Logan Sargent, on his debut was in the ballpark. You know, he was doing a respectable job. Not, not, you know, not on Albon's gearbox the whole race, but a good, a good distance away. Did you see Albon's post-race interviews at all, Matt? It honestly did look like someone had put 50p in him and and wound him up and set him (laughs) off. He looked high as a kite. Uh, It was delightful. I mean, he talked about the challenges of having to be like, Q3 for Q1 and Williams to get through and, and, and to sing his praises. I mean, yes, he came in with everybody else and got the soft tires to finish in the points with the Williams at the first race is, is, is testament. I think a lot to his skill as a driver. Sargent finished 12th. Yep. One, you know, two places back. He tied Norris's time to the thousandth in qualifying. Williams have a legitimate second driver now as a rookie Ooh, that's and a we should pre- make an acknowledgement of that that's a bit previous he's had a good race that's you're crowning him all right okay look, hey, look it's a positive step forward it just is. saw chris die in the eyes when you said that yeah I, I love i love latifi as a person and <laughs> as a driver i'm delighted he got the chance but it's hard to argue that sergeant hasn't shown up and done yeah. a pretty good job from the off i hope so because this could be actually a step up in overall grid quality than what we've had, say, two or three years ago. Yes. But if we're going to talk about the midfield, who we really need to mention is former Lewis Hamilton teammate Valtteri Bottas finishing eighth. (laughs) A stealthy eighth in an alpha that nobody thought could get there. They made an excellent strategy call at the beginning of the race. And there he was. Holy 2022, Batman. It, that's, isn't this what we said last season? And three races in, as teams start developing, they just they just completely fell away. I think it's suspicious that the Ocon fan does not want to talk about the various <laughs> Ocon penalties. Do it now, that were Chris. Applied. Do it now. Bring, that was incredible. Bring it, as they say, on. If uh, Chris is going to describe all the okay. Ocon penalties, which means, guys, we have a little bit of time. Do we have enough time? Yeah, we, we have, have enough time. No, we have time to go and get a drink. Do you want to take a 10-minute break? <laughs> go for it, mate. Go for it. <laughs> Let me just put it out there, right? This whole disaster of a race all came about because Ocon didn't park it on the grid correctly so you can sit there matt and defend him with his alpine were the ones who screwed up the initial penalty he shouldn't have got that penalty in the first place and hang on and the pit lane speeding obviously that's that's on ocken's shoulders as well yeah that's yeah that's his fault as well and then there was a, another penalty on top of that uh, but i'd lost count and interest to be so fair was, by then by then i was too yeah. busy watching them trying to pump up McLa- the uh, <laughs> lando norris's inflatable car or whatever was going on there uh, but was there was there a, another penalty matt so there was, uh, well there was the grid oh, one the Penalty for not doing the penalty right and the speeding penalty, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, you're correct. So so let's be very clear about this. The penalty that Alcon got was for not parking within the painted yellow lines 
that they put around the white lines that you're actually supposed to park in. And when they looked at it on video, the commentators were like, well, I, whatever. But eventually, if you saw and from a front shot, you could see that he was a little bit off to the right. Now, I do need to point out that he and at least one other person did the same thing in Brazil and did not get penalized for it because it but turns out they painted all... the yellow lines a little too small. But if you looked at it from the front and you asked yourself, did he gain an advantage from this? I'd say, and pretty much everyone else says, well, no, not really. That but does fair play. Harsh. He was outside yeah. the rules. He got a five-second penalty. He comes in to serve his penalty. And the team, because this is now on the team, start work, a, an unbelievable gross violation of the rules a whole 0.4 seconds before they're supposed to, according to the FIA, which went in afterwards oh, and wow. looked at it very, 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 very carefully. Again, uh, fair play. And then 0.4 seconds is still yeah. more. It's still too early. So now he's got a second five-second penalty, which, you know, you're really going to say isn't his fault. Um, but because that was on the mechanics that started 0.4 seconds too early. <laughs> and then, And then I guess either coming in to serve the penalty or when he came back in to serve the penalty, he committed the grievous error of speeding in the pit lane by 0.1 kilometers per hour. Now, maybe it's just me as a USian, where you're not going to get done for speeding unless you're like 16 kilometers per hour over the speed limit. But I'm asking some questions about 0.1. So what you're saying there, Matt, is that he broke the rules, but he only broke them a little bit. Why don't you just let him off? Oh, Where have I heard that before? Oh, the Red, the red Bull defense. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? They've broken the rules just a little bit. Please, but it's only please, just a please, tiny, tiny penalty. Play back my audio and point out to me where I said he shouldn't have been penalized for any of that. Okay, and, and, I and, think and I said that. And, hey, look, right. let's be aware when someone's upset, <laughs> that was a very bad day for, for Ocon, and it kind of rendered that whole race pointless presumably his flight got delayed as well and they lost mm. his luggage and all this afterwards well, the luck he was having. you know I, I mean i'm old enough to have had bad days my favorite bad days started with floods included a truck fire a plane crash and a reroute and a, and a breakdown on the way to the airport but when bad things happen they sometimes just come like coin flips in a sequence so I think pretty much Alpine's going to write this off. If there's good news for Ocon, he did a good job in qualifying. And if I looked at the Alpine lap times, they're within, you know, two-tenths of each other. I think they have a decent car. And barring the operational issues, it's going to be, um, barring the operational issues, it's it's going to be a good season for them overall because they really do look to be around ninth or tenth on pace christopher fonseca in our live chat says ocon was one penalty away from being esther banned <laughs> from the next race good spot there alex and i'll go to alex actually for our next team uh, mclaren yeah like i said it did look like the concept was an inflatable car that they just had to keep <laughs> pumping up every few laps or so and i'm not saying that's a bad idea or that they should go to the b specs straight away <laughs> but oh what a horrible day and what kills me, did you see how happy and optimistic Lando Norris was before the race? He was like full of, guys, it is not. He turned up as if it had all been like a big sandbag and they were all, they were on top of it. 
he was doing well as well until the cast started mm. breaking down. I, I, I don't have words for McLaren, which isn't good in my podcast, but, um, you know, McLaren, McLaren have been my favourite team as long as I've been watching F1. And to see them in the doldrums that they're in, when I thought this year with a new hotshot driver coming in, with them understanding their regulations a little bit more, with them having so much adversity last year that they could hit the ground running this year and, you know, do something for Lando. For Mm. crying out, Lando is one of the best drivers on the grid and he's seeing all his mates up there, you know, he's seeing Max winning championships, he's seeing George finally win a race, he's seeing Carlos Sainz winning a race and he still just occasionally scrapes the podium when four cars screw up. Mm. And he's so much better than that and he deserves so much more than that. For me, the question is how much more can he take before he jumps ship and ends up, uh, I don't know, Mercedes or if, if, if Lewis decides he's had enough or, you know, possibly at whatever's going to become uh, Audi no, from the they did. Outfit. They did a lie detector test on Lewis Hamilton on Sky and he said he was going to stay till he won a championship and lie, lie detectors are definitely real and work and are fun and aren't pretend. Okay, Chris. D- did he say he was going to stay at Mercedes? No, no, he didn't. He's going to win exactly. it. He's going to win it with um, with Aston Martin. Going to Aston Martin. <laughs> Him, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso at Aston Martin. <laughs> there you go. Heard it. Yes. Heard it here first. I mean, it um, won't happen because that means uh, Stroll's not driving. On but. the positive side, wasn't Lando Norris like catching Hamilton and um, and Alonso at one point? Yeah. So there's Different not tires and whatnot, I know, but, but there's yeah. not nothing there, and he was a lap down. No. So, yeah, but he was looking like he might briefly unlap himself. So there, there might be something in the car, Chris. Race but, one, race one. Yeah, yeah, but uh, potentially it's tough to read into that end of the race there because I think he was constantly getting new tyres every time he's got, he got his car topped up, whereas obviously the front runners you know, weren't doing that. Um, it's such a shame because both of those drivers have incredible potential and I think it's really cruel on Piastri as well for him to finally come into Formula One. And he's he's right now not even getting a, a, a shot at it. But it's also cruel on, on Norris as well, as Alex was pointing out, because he's he's kind of served his time now. He deserves a front front running car. I mean, Piastri could have been sitting in that Alpine seat, finishing in the points today. Is he supposed to have a crystal ball in 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 his negotiations when he was he knew full well that Alpine was just going to sign Alonso so he went ahead and found his own team i i still think those two teams are going to end up uh, overtaking the likes of Alpha and Alpha, the other Alpha oh, God, yeah. and Williams yeah, 100%. and all that. yeah and and i don't know if it got to mention but the the actual problem was with the pneumatic system um on the car and that's why they had to keep they they had to keep stopping and filling it up it wasn't actually an inflatable car concept although <laughs> That was that was pretty funny. And what was it? Gearbox for Piastri, you know? Yeah, eventually maybe a hydraulics thing. I don't know. Okay, so I think actually we've done pretty well here. We've covered pretty much every team, I think, except uh, Haas, who ended up just imagining the factory tour when Hulkenberg turned up and they said, oh, okay, can you just show, uh, can you show uh, Nico Hulkenberg around, please? And they, and <laughs> Magnussen's like, yeah, this is the rear wing. Here's the steering wheel. There's the end plates. You don't need them. And then straight away, Magnussen just goes out and just gets rid of his end plate. That that reminds me because it was um was it it was Ocon wasn't it who had a flappy front wing 
and yeah. it never got the black and orange fag. And Gunther Siner must have been <laughs> sat on that wall seething because his car got that like 72 times last year. But they just let Ocon get, get away with it. But how did Hulkenberg go from starting inside the top 10 with that brilliant qualifying to then just nothing in the race? Unlike Mick Schumacher, he just crashed into things at the start of the race, not during <laughs> qualifying. Sigh. Totally justified. I, the the You're decision welcome. to get rid of Schumacher was totally justified as soon as Hulkenberg put it in Q3. Yeah, it looks good. Like, You've spent the whole off-season sympathizing with Mick Schumacher and m- so? making memes about him going to Mercedes. <laughs> I didn't make memes about it. You did. You did the whole sad one about him seeing him in a... Um, in a Mercedes outfit. I said it was great seeing him in a Mercedes outfit. Look, look, anyway. look, don't take it personally from Alex. Just a month ago, he was still calling them memes, but we have definitely reached <laughs> the podium. <laughs> the beginning of the season has begun. And I think that's the most we can say about that race. It didn't pop in a strategic way. The field spread wasn't quite what we were hoping and what we felt might be happening on Friday. It did look quite spaced out. And I think that might be more due to some teams not quite hitting the ground running like they wanted to. Let's see if Mercedes can iron out a few niggles. Let's uh, give Alpine and McLaren a chance to make the midfield even more competitive than it looks at the moment. I really do think we've got some fantastic racing ahead and we really don't know the way the season's going to go. The amount of times you've tipped up to an opening race, say, at Australia and you see Kevin Magnussen suddenly appear and get a second place and you go, oh my goodness, we've got a new wonderkind on the scene. Magnussen's going to dominate the front of Formula One and it just doesn't happen. So often, opening races are a false dawn so let's take this as a watching brief and look forward to the next race in two weeks time Uh, we've got some great interviews coming up we're going to still try and catch up with mike caulfield uncle joe joe saywood's going to catch up with us we're going to have a a formula e-boss come and join us who we worked at super iguri so uh, we'll 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 keep our hat under when that's quite coming out and of course we'll do a little bit of a, a news roundup and try and pick up some of the stuff that we missed and do all the patron reviews and patron live streams that we've got planned. And you know, Spanners, 70%, only 70% of the people watching us on YouTube are subscribed to this channel. So I would say to you remaining 30%, you should just hit that bell so that you don't miss all that lovely, lovely content that Spanners just listed off there. We, We do neglect saying that yes please do like like and subscribe all the stuff to all the stuff did i say that right and there's all a the bell stuff. and you can yeah. get a thing uh, but it also like on your your internet podcast thing on your app like subscribe on there as well don't just keep finding it from the web page and the number one thing you can really do to help us there's there's been about 18 brand new massive f1 podcasts that have launched which is great because more people come into the niche but when they go go looking for more content, just suggest Missed Apex Podcast to your friends if they say, oh, we've just caught up with those new big podcasts and we're into podcasts now. MissedApex.net uh, gives them everything they need to see. But what we need to see now is who is going to win the awards. So we've got our first award. The Thing of the Weekend. It's a bit loud. Uh, right, Matt, who gets your Thing of the Weekend? Okay. Don't hold it against me, it's Red Bull fans. Again, I think Max and Checo and the car are amazing. And don't hold it against me, Alonzo fans, because 
I have never said he was a bad driver. But my thing of the weekend? Gotta be Pierre Gasly getting 11 places in the race, finishing in the points, and keeping Alpine from having a truly, truly catastrophic day. Interesting, the Ocon fan choosing Gasly as his thing Do you know what? of I'm the not, weekend. I'm just, not just buying, the, I'm not just buying interesting. that. I'm not buying that. I know what he's doing. He's buying himself some credit so that when he <laughs> is biased towards Ocon, yeah. he can let it go. But I gave Gasly that award that one time. Uh, well, you mm. can look at it however you like, my friend. But I'm going to say an 11-place gain first race for Alpine in the points is a pretty good thing for Pierre Gasly. I only know that tactic because that's why I was praising Russell earlier. Alex, <laughs> <laughs> Alex Van Jean. Alex Jeansy Van Jean. You've got some projects that I'm not going to talk about here, but I, <laughs> but I am going to put a link to the sh- to it in the show notes below. So if you want to hear more from Alex and see more from Alex, go and follow him. His Twitter link will be there with a link to his side projects. Now, Alex, what mm. what would be your thing of the weekend? So I have three potentials, and they're all things that I normally slag off. You are that person in line that doesn't make up their mind till they get to the counter. I hate you. Really? How many comments of the week are we going to get this afternoon? 18. This just, evening? just pick the donut and sit at the table. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm going to have to give it, and this hurts, to Lance Stroll. And the reason I'm giving it to Lance is the guy has two broken wrists and a broken toe turned up and did a really good performance. Um if you take away his two, his two nickels. But considering the very, 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 very low base that I give Lance Stroll, I was impressed with it's him. It's such weekend. a low bar. You've just did, given I, him. I thought he did. I thought he did a really good job, and I really don't want to give it to the other two people. <laughs> You've who just given him thing of the weekend for turning up and not quite taking out his teammate. That's what you've you given You try him. to do anything with broken wrists. Well, I would, I would have taken the week off. That's what I would have done. <laughs> and maybe, you know, take it easy, like right before preseason. Everyone right, tells me off for taking the piss out of Slavo Stroll all the time. So fine. I, I, I'll I, take I'm it. Give and it what you've done is you've triggered me and now I'm going to get the email. So Christopher at Chris on Racing, known by his friends as Christopher. That's the No, you've got to, to be, stop doing that, man. Never respond to a nickname. That's the rules of the playground. Just stay quiet and take it. Now a, everyone knows you hate it. Anyway, it's not Christ- a nickname, though. It's just my name. Anyway. And it's awful. Christopher Stevens, who's your thing of the weekend? <laughs> right. Unlike my colleague, I've got to the ticket barrier at the train station. I've got my damn ticket ready. Well, I'm not fumbling around Let's for see it. it. Yeah. I hate those people. Anyway, mine is Alonzo Sass. Because those team radios, when he would make one of those awesome moves was just great to listen to, but the best one was the post-race interview. And he gets asked, did the, uh, you know, the rules about the, uh, the arrow testing, you guys get more arrow because you were lower in the championship. Does that help you this year? And he says, next year, we won't have a lot. So that, does that mean it's gotten to me and nobody's said Fernando Alonso yet? Well, I put, I said Alonso sass. Doesn't that count? Okay, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I thought you'd, yeah, well, let's just, make it a snub then. It's just too obvious, okay. isn't it? Good. In that case, the obvious one. my thing of the weekend, because of how happy he was, and I, I was unhappy with him when he got his first podium, and it seemed like a nothing to him, like he took it for granted, and I didn't like it. But this point that Alex Albon got today looked like a treasured jewel, and, and that's how it should be, a world championship point, and he seemed to really be embracing it into his heart. I think he might have even pushed it into his heart and turned from a green island into a demigoddess. I watched Moana recently. So, now we move on to our Bad Thing Award. Oh, 
no, you missed the apex. Make way, make way for missing the apex. Matu Rumpets, who missed the apex for you? Oh my goodness. There are a plethora of candidates. But because this is a weekend award and not just a race award, I'm going to say McLaren because they did not only miss the apex. They missed pretty much the whole darn race, if you're asking me, including having to retire their, well, highly touted recruit after less than half the race when he desperately needs those laps to get up to speed. So, yeah, along with all the other McLaren fans, I'm looking forward to that update when it finally shows up. So that, that e-ink sponsor board thing that they had, I mean, that worked really well. But maybe they could have the status of the car on there as well. So if there's a blank space, one bit, it could be like, oh, buy Android. And then the next bit could be a bit of a frowny face because there's a pneumatic issue that needs sorting out. So when they put, you know, they pull up and then when that's sorted, it goes to a smiley face and he pulls away. But I think McLaren would have been better off just retiring Lando Norris just for the sake of PR, which is very important to to McLaren. You're a PR guy, Chris. Wouldn't you have just, after losing Piastri and already being lapsed down, there's got to come a point where you just park it. Yeah, but you also need mileage this mm. early in the season as well. So also, I think it, I'm pretty sure it's, um, it is against the rules to just say, Oh, we're not going to get anything, so we're just going no, to. You've got to invent the car. You have to Hang provide on. some sort of. Yeah, you've got to invent a reason. But surely we yeah. all remember Fernando Alonso in the days when he wasn't when he'd be like twelve, and he'd go, "Oh no, there's some sort of problem with the car. What is it? Oh, ooh. the pedal. There is a vibration. <laughs> yeah, there was dangerous. Can't possibly finish. And he just sacked, he sacked it. Who who was he driving for when that was when it was that? It wasn't McLaren, McLaren. Alonso, was it? It was McLaren. Because yeah. Jensen Button called him out on it in an interview <laughs> oh, recently. He? <laughs> he said, "Yeah, Alonso just used to park the car. Yeah, because he couldn't be bothered to not finish in the points. So yeah, he just parked yeah, yeah. it. I don't, I don't think we even let's not even say allegedly. Let's bring on the lawsuits. Chris, who missed the apex for you? So my uh, submission for this didn't necessarily miss the apex, but they did miss their grid box and also (laughs) a a speed limiter line. Maybe he needs one of those parking sensors, but you know it's going to be Esteban Ocon and the chain of events that he set off. Yeah, it was bad. Look, you're right, right, Chris. It was pure fluff territory from him. Unfortunate narrow margins unlucky but that yeah, it's mostly it's mostly on him and it, the speeding in the pit lane that is that seems to me like you know you've you've gone you've you've, you've tilted you've gone the rage is, yeah. has clicked if you want me to make it fair as well i'll also give it to alpine's stopwatch yeah. i would just throw in 10 kilometers that's a tilt 0.1 <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> uh, rules is rules is rules you know, except for well, never mind. Uh, uh, Alex, hi. You right? Hi, Missed Apex. Hi, Missed Apex Award is going to go to Mercedes PR. I think they've been a mess this weekend. Mixed messaging, um, isn't it? Because they could have just gone. We're going to fight hard for this this season. We're going to push. They don't. We don't. They don't need to tell us that the concept has failed and all. It just adds negative feelings into everything that is around Mercedes. They just need to say, right, we're going to keep our head down for this year. We're going to work as hard as we can and we're going to try and improve and we're going to try and improve because that's what they are going to do. But to come out and say for Toto to come out and say the concept is wrong. Lewis also questioning the concept. George saying, oh, well, doesn't matter. Red Bull are going to go and win every single race this season. <laughs> yeah, cheer up. It's, cheer up, it, 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 it's <laughs> they need to be more positive And I think they are 
responsible for the backlash from the fans who are trying to get heads to roll. But I would so much rather, and this is one of the things I've always respected about Mercedes, how honest they tend to be. And what is there to be positive about? I would so much rather listen to them acknowledging the faults than rather try and, you know, put a, put a fire out with one of those, like, little spray things that you use on your plants because it's just not going to work. There's being honest and there's being honest to a fault where it, where it damages yourself. And they could have been honest and said, at the moment, we haven't got this nailed down, but we're going to work on it, which is what they're going to do. Yeah. You know, they might be, they, they, don't, they don't need to tell us the specifics. I don't want to know the specifics because it's sad and makes me unhappy. <laughs> but the Mercedes are in this unique position where they've rewritten the record books in Formula One. It doesn't matter if they have two, three no. bad years in Formula One because they're always the fans that. Yeah. Remember, tell the diehards that. Yeah. No, to be honest, if anyone from Mercedes is listening and can get a, a message to the Mercedes PR admin and Toto Wolf, uh, sugarcoat it. I'm with you, Van Jean. Just give us Absolutely. a nice, nice slathering of icing. It doesn't. So long as you know they're they're keeping the sponsors on, which it sounds like they are, and you know it, it's it's refreshing. I we we always keep keep, keep complaining that teams and drivers are robots and they keep saying the same <laughs> thing, but every time somebody says something different, we complain about it. Okay, and uh, for my missed Apex, before I do my missed Apex award, I just want to pay tribute to my teammate who did really well to get here and make... Oh, no, that's Alonso's notes, sorry. Uh, my missed Apex award uh, is going to go to Signs because he's turned up and he looks more than half a click off of the back of, of Leclerc. And I think there was a lot of Carlos Signs fans, or certainly fans of his hair, who were hoping that he could be a little bit closer. But he looked an awful, an awful long way off. He was looking promising in testing. He was looking promising in qualifying. He topped yeah. Q1, if I remember rightly. So I was like, oh, we've got Carlos Sainz on song. And then he just vanished in the race. And then all of a sudden, I was incredibly surprised to see Lewis and Alonso Catching bearing him down on him. While fighting. While fighting as well. Exactly. Oh, go on. Alex, uh, Matt is going to make this all better. I'm just going to say once again... This is the worst possible track for Ferrari in my estimation. So let's see where they are. Come they won it last now. year. They've actually won it quite a lot. Right, you two, you two, by the way, um, on screen now, Chris and Matt, you owe me uh, a 15 minute segment for a magazine show breaking down all the tracks and why they're front and or rear limited. So I look forward to that. For, yeah, get for, Summers to do it. He'll, no, he'll do it so much better no, than I will. It was that's you. easy. Then I can just say you're wrong. Exactly. Which was Chris's argument. Well, Follow these two idiots. Matt, two rumpets. Links in the show notes below. Chris Stevens and this one, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. And follow me, Spanners Ready on Twitter and Richard Ready on Facebook. I'm the best one. Follow me. Consider, consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And also, please, just tell your friends, Give Missed Apex Podcast a try if you're into F1. They're fine. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Thank you. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.